Before we begin our study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Baruch atah Adonai asher Torah. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk about boundaries, how to think about boundaries and some useful attitudes about boundaries. The, the Torah portion this week continues with a lot of instructions about boundaries, what's permitted, what's not permitted. And I want you to remember that Israel has, uh, has come out of Egypt and has to develop an entirely different framework, a religious and a spiritual and a moral framework for their new society under God. And it's going to be quite different from what they've experienced before and quite different from the Egyptian culture and the Egyptian society. The reading started in Leviticus 16, and they refer to the death of two of the sons of Aaron, the high priest, which we read about uh, a few weeks ago, and these two sons had crossed the line with the Lord, and they offered what was called strange fire, a sacrifice to the Lord, which was seriously unacceptable. The Lord didn't just say, that's not good. Fire came down from heaven, and rather than consuming the sacrifice, it consumed them. And the Lord said, that's it for you guys. Very serious time. Now, some of the instructions in this week's readings are actually background to decisions that were later made by Yeshua's apostles when they were facing the very new situation of Gentiles coming to faith in Yeshua. So just remember this. There was a time when the only people who were really following Yeshua were Jews. And they had a question, can Gentiles be saved? It was a serious question. They thought, well, maybe Gentiles can be saved if they convert to Judaism first, and then it's possible to be a believer. How far the world has come. I don't know that it's progress. Well, the apostles gave some decisions to the community of disciples about sexual behavior, about idolatry. We can read about this in Acts chapter 15. We're going to spend most of our time in Acts 15, in fact, tonight. Starting in verse 28, Acts chapter 15. And so who's got a Bible? Who's got a digital Bible? Who's got a paper Bible? If you don't have a Bible, um, try to sit next to someone who does. And if none of you have a Bible... Um, next time, bring a Bible. Bibles are always welcome. When I became a believer, I was, uh, I was given a Bible by the guy who led me to the Lord, and, I, and he instructed me, bring this with you everywhere. And so I did. Uh, in the synagogue I grew up in, we had a Hamash, which was uh, the first five books of Moses in Hebrew and in English, and then we had the Haftorah readings together with that. But we didn't actually have a whole Bible in our synagogues. But we were expected to follow along anyway, as best we could. Acts chapter 15, verse 28. This is uh, a statement from the apostles. They've been meeting together and trying to figure out 
what are the boundaries? And they say this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's a great phrase, isn't it? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Not to burden you. You see, they're writing to the Gentiles who are now believers. Not to burden you with anything beyond the following essential requirements. Now, now l- let me acknowledge something. For some people, the word Gentile uh, means pagan or heathen or something like that. But technically, Gentile means uh, ethnic group or nationality or people group. In Greek, the word is ethne, and it's the word from which in English we get ethnic. So it doesn't have to do with uh, whether you're a pagan or not. It has to do with whether you're from the Jewish people or from another people group. And they're, they're talking, uh, the apostles are talking to those who are, who are not born Jewish, but now they're worshiping the God of Israel. And they're putting their trust in the Messiah of Israel and they're fellowshipping together with Jewish believers. So Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and they haven't figured out what to call each other. So often they call each other brothers and sisters. Very simple. And the question is, what's required of them? And this was the decision. You must abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Abstain from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And then it ends with this nice, simple closing, farewell. (laughs) (laughs) So don't eat what's been sacrificed already to idols. Don't eat blood. Don't eat meat from animals that were strangled. Don't engage in sexual morality. You'll do well to avoid these things. In other words, it will go well with you if you avoid these things. There was an understanding, even an expectation, that this was a good foundation for the new Gentile believers in Yeshua who were joining themselves with the Jewish believers. Now some of these instructions did require further learning. For instance, what is sexual immorality? Because different people groups, different cultures had different views about it. You can read in the Torah portion this week some of the boundaries of what was described as sexual immorality, what not to do, what was forbidden. And so when, when it says don't engage in sexual immorality, it doesn't mean uh, what your own original people group says, but what we have in the scriptures about sexual immorality. And so you could say that some of these instructions required additional learning. That was true. But the apostles said it's, it's not going to be a problem because the books that the people need to learn from are readily available. The Torah and the prophets. They're read in synagogues everywhere, in every city, every Shabbat. So anyone who's joining themselves with the Jewish people won't have a problem. They just need to gather with the Jewish people on Shabbat. They'll hear the Torah read. They'll hear the prophets and the writings read. There'll be discussion around these things. It'll become clear to everybody what this is all about. As long as everybody continues to have fellowship together. So the Jews have to keep being Jews, you see? And the Gentiles have to be welcomed to fellowship together with the Jews. 
That was a new idea. Now, if the new believers were in a synagogue on Shabbat with other disciples of Yeshua, then they would definitely hear more details about these instructions, including what is considered sexual immorality. They could discuss the details together. They could move forward in the new life together. Now, I have noticed that whenever instructions such as these are given to a community of faith, there is always a risk, and sometimes it's a big risk, that people will, will go out of bounds in one of two ways. One, one way to go out of bounds is to say, well, none of these instructions, none of these laws really matter. If you believe, that's all that matters. If you fit into the community, that's all that matters. And the other direction, on the other side, I think it's an excessive focus on some laws and instructions, and almost always, I can tell you this, when people become excessive on some laws, they focus on the laws that they're already paying attention to and keeping. And then they use that to judge other people. Have you ever experienced that? Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a common tactic that people have. They find out what they're already good at or what they're conforming to that they think is good or right, and then they start narrowing everything down and evaluating who is keeping this and who's keeping that. Uh, so what goes along with that excessive focus is uh, legalism and judgmental and critical attitudes and a sense of religious superiority and arrogance. I mean, you may be religious folk, but let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever uh, just been put off by people who are religious? I mean, have you ever looked in the mirror and said, that person is just acting too religious? And I don't mean spiritual, I mean something else. Now, some people are more inclined to one extreme or the other, I want to encourage you to avoid both extremes. There's always going to be a need for boundaries. Otherwise, there's no distinction between the holy and the unholy. But as far as having the right attitude, we can learn a lot about the right attitude from the first Messianic community and the experiences that they wrote about in the book of Acts and the other writings of the New Testament. So... There's one statement we already read from Acts 15, 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these essential requirements. Isn't that an interesting way of welcoming new people in? You know, we, we don't want to put on you too much. We'll be clear. And of course, you know, this is not an exhaustive list. It was still expected that no one would murder each other. Right? So just because it's not in this list doesn't mean it doesn't apply. There are some common decencies, common understandings. Well, let's look at another example from Acts 15 that reveals this attitude that we can learn from. And, and just to set the context, if you read Acts 15, the, the context is there's a there's a serious discussion, and it's bringing in some very important people to deal with very important issues. And it's sort of stimulated by two things. One, one, one is that Peter has already 
been bringing the gospel to Jews, I mean to Gentiles. And Paul has also been doing the same. Two different experiences, two different venues. Peter was considered to be an apostle to Jews, Paul an apostle to Gentiles. But they wanted to walk in unity and there were different opinions, not among the people I just mentioned, but among other people as to what's required and what's not required. Remember that the early Messianic Jewish community was very diverse. There were all kinds of people coming into the community from every branch of Judaism. If you think Judaism is like a monolithic thing, you just haven't hung around with more than two Jews. Uh, We have a proverb where there are two Jews, there are three opinions. There are many different branches and when people were becoming disciples of Yeshua, they came from whatever background they came from. And they came into a community thus that was very diverse. And I can relate to that. Can you, Rabbi Yuri, that there are people here in the congregation who come from different backgrounds? And because of the different backgrounds, you, you may take for granted, oh, I, I got what I need and everybody should think the way I think. And so there was diversity and some of these things had to be discussed and worked out. So there's a, there's a meeting, and in Acts 15, Peter says, after much discussion, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. In other words, Peter's saying, we were all together with Yeshua, but I was the one who was picked to go to the Gentiles first. I didn't even volunteer. I wasn't even sure what was going on. But, verse 8, God who knows the heart. Let's say that. God who knows the heart. Showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them because he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, because you see there's a question. Some of, the, some of the folks in the Messianic community at that time who came from a Pharisaic background, and many believers did. Uh, Paul was one. Many people think Yeshua was another. But there were quite a few Pharisees who, who held to the idea that there would be a physical resurrection. Paul used that argument once against Sadducees who were all up in arms about stuff. So there were many things about the Pharisaic view that were, that were good. However, there was this group of, can we call them Pharisee believers, sort of. I, I, I put it that way. I don't want to call them messianic because they haven't, fully shown that they're inside the boundaries of the Messianic movement. And they were insisting that the only way that Gentile men could be saved is through conversion to Judaism first. They must, the men must be circumcised and then immersed in water and then they must take on the the commitment to live as Jews, all of this is one part. And then they can have faith in Yeshua and his sacrifice will atone for their sins. So those 
first things were necessary in that view. And Peter is disagreeing. And he says this, it's recorded in verse 10, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace and the mercy and the loving kindness of our Lord Yeshua that we are saved just as they are. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, now here's, here's an opportunity to fix your Bible. If your Bible has James, you can mark through that and correct it. Better to put Jacob or Yaakov because that's what uh, the guy's name was. It wasn't James. Nobody called him James until, you know, the British... Uh, you know, I guess because he wasn't King Jacob. <laughs> Yaakov spoke up, brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written, kakatuv, that's a a common way of preceding a quotation from the scriptures. When, when you're reading in the scriptures and it says, as it is written, that's, that's a, uh, an alert. The very next thing is a quote from the scriptures without giving chapter and verse. It says this, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it so that, say that with me, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. Isn't that interesting? God promises to restore Israel, the Jewish people, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. So who's called to bring the good news? Jews. Who's called to be evangelical? Jews. But not in a Christian way, in a Jewish way. So maybe evangelical isn't the right word. I'm just using it. Um, Who's called to to be restored to God? The, The prophet that writes here says Israel's called, the Jewish people are called so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. You see the restoration of the Jewish people is not the last thing. It's the key to the restoration and the revival of the whole world. When I became a believer I was discipled by people who loved uh, Israel and the Jewish people but they didn't understand uh, a simple thing that Paul had said in Romans 1.16, which is, I'm fully persuaded that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first. For the Jew first. Some people read that now and they think the Jew was first, and that was a long time ago, and now everybody else is next. And in fact, God's finished with the Jews, you know, But that is not what the scriptures teach us. 
In every generation, at every time, God wants the good news to be brought to the Jewish people. He wants Jewish people restored to him, and he wants to use that process of restoration uh, through Messiah to benefit all the nations of the world around. Verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Isn't that a good way of putting it? We shouldn't make it hard. We shouldn't make it hard. It's interesting to me that today's Haftorah is the exact reading from Amos 9 that Yaakov Jacob is quoting. So the reading of the Torah and the prophets that help shape the right attitude for the apostles and all the first generation of believers. And I believe that this helps us understand something, that, that by reading the scriptures, by reading Torah and reading the prophets, it gives us a heart of kindness and generosity towards all who are coming in from every nation. And so you can easily find out when someone has already crossed over the line and they're outside of the boundaries. Because instead of having that attitude, they have a different attitude. And they want to make it hard. They want to make it hard. You know, and sometimes there are Gentiles who come into the Messianic movement and they want to make it hard on everybody. And they, uh, they say, well, you got to do this and this and this and this and this to be serious before God. Uh, all things that they think they're doing. And they start being judgmental and critical because they're bringing that into the spiritual situation. And then not only are they critical about the other Gentiles who are coming in, they're critical of all the Jews who have already come in. It's like, well, you're not really Jewish. I'm really a Jew. Yeah. So there are markers that tell you when someone's gone out of bounds. And attitude is one. So for the apostles, reading the Torah and the prophets helped them have the right attitude rather than them having the wrong attitude. And as a result of this discussion, the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem decided to write a letter and to send it with people they trusted. And here's the letter. It's in Acts chapter 15. It starts in verse 23. It's a short letter. It says, The apostles and elders, your brothers, writing to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, or it could be translated from the Greek, to those in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, brothers from among the Gentiles or among the nations. Greetings. Look at verse 24. They didn't put verses in the letter, incidentally. We've got verses added. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Boy, can I relate to that. (laughs) And so we agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. And therefore we're sending Judah and Silas also to confirm by word of mouth what we're writing. So we're sending 
Paul and Barnabas were sending Judah and Silas to confirm that we wrote this letter. Some from out in the hinterlands, you know, in the diaspora, some from inside uh, the Jerusalem community. And they're going to confirm, we wrote the letter and this is what we have to say. Verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You see, this is what we read earlier. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. That's what they said. And they put a boundary in the Messianic community. And they said, those that go beyond this, they're out of bounds. They're not part of our community. They're part of something else. Let them figure out what that is. It's not us. And they said this, don't let yourself be troubled by people who go out without our authorization and disturb you. Isn't that a great statement? They didn't even make a list of who had done it. They just said, these folks that are creating problems, they went out without our authorization. We didn't send them. And we could say this, don't let yourself be troubled by people who proclaim a different gospel. If they proclaim a different gospel, it means they didn't go out with authorization. It means they didn't go out uh, with the good news of Yeshua. They didn't go out with authority, no matter how much they claim for themselves, they have this much, zero authority. Do you see how short that letter was? Most theologians could not write a letter that short. And one of the beauties of this leadership community is they brought all the diverse perspectives together, people who were working in different uh, places and had different callings and emphasis, and they sat down together, they talked out what they agreed on, and you know why they could do that? Because their hearts were right with God, and they had a right heart towards Yeshua, and they got the basics right. And they were able, by looking at that, to see who got the basics wrong. Now, if you get the basics, if you get the foundations wrong, the whole house is going to be wrong. Everything. Unless the foundation is right, you can't build correctly. And once you build, you can't take down the foundation. you got to take down the building. That's what you have to do. And so it's, it's amazing to me that it... Um, that the instructions were so simple. Now, it would have been great if after these instructions went out that nobody who had an out-of-bounds idea would trouble anyone else. But if you read the book of Acts and the other letters, the other epistles, you'll find out that there was still conflict. There were still challenges. And even to this day, there are challenges. Because some people have their own out of bounds, religious view, you can authenticate 
a lot of things in the most simple of ways. Look and see if the same conclusion is reached by Yeshua, by the apostles. If they reach a conclusion, and if, they, if the attitude is the same that they have, if they have the same heart, then it means that people are thinking clearly. But if they reach other conclusions, you know what it means? They got it wrong. So keep your eyes focused on Yeshua. Use the scriptures as authoritative text. And don't let anyone pull you in another direction. It will mislead you. It will trouble you. It will disturb you. If you build upon those wrong foundations, no matter what they are, it doesn't matter if they're wrong Jewish foundations, wrong Christian foundations. Wrong foundations are wrong foundations. And if you build upon them, it's to your peril. Yeshua once said, there are two kinds of foundations that you can build with. One is on rock, and one is on sand. And he said, the one on sand, this is, this is people who hear the word, but they don't put it into practice. You know what that implies? They put something else into practice. And he said, the ones who build on rock, they hear the, he said, they hear my teachings, and they put them into practice. Both go through storms, so it's not that one has an easy life and the other one doesn't. It's not that simple. It's they both go through storms, but one house stands and the other one's destroyed. Because the foundation is wrong. You can build the same kind of house on two different foundations. One will fail and the other won't. I want to encourage you, be simple with yourself. Don't let yourself get troubled by people who go out of bounds. If they go out of bounds, do what every good sports referee and umpire does, you know, like, out of bounds. Just tell them you're out of bounds. And uh, if they want to keep playing the game right, you know, they'll consider themselves out. They won't fight the referee and the umpire, and they'll go for another round and try to stay inbounds the next time. It's real simple. So be simple with yourself and be simple with others. It'll always do well for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for giving us the word of God that we can look at and we can be instructed by. We can learn from Torah, from the prophets, from the writings, from the Brit Shah, and we can be equipped And through this, Lord, we can serve you in a way that's authentic and that reflects the conclusions you've reached, the processes you used, and the attitudes that you always maintained. Open our hearts up. Open our minds up, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? If you're standing by yourself, move to somebody else so they're not by themselves. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.